Good afternoon. If you have a Bible handy and you'd like to get a head start, you can turn to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, and we'll begin there in just a moment. Again, we're grateful for your attendance, especially the visitors we may have, but especially to our members as well. We don't often say that. Sometimes we emphasize the visitors, but we're thankful that you chose to be here this afternoon and thankful for just a few moments where we can try to encourage ourselves as we think about uh, the days that lie ahead, God be willing, and the things, the week that comes before us. It's always an encouraging thing to be with brothers and sisters and to uh, kind of begin the week, <coughs> excuse me, begin the week this way. We talked this morning a little bit about faith, invisible faith, and I told you that was kind of built off the idea of, of compounding the lessons together and being able to kind of have maybe one uh, theme or thought. And so we're going to look at faith this afternoon through the one word study. Uh, just a, a refresher again, that was a, a 52-week study that was done by uh, the Jenkins Institute, and, and they actually had different men that wrote, probably over 100 men that all wrote different uh, articles and, and lessons to go along with this. Uh, and it was meant to be a weekly study a congregation could go through, but uh, I had done this, some of this at Lake Hills and said, you know, I sometimes don't like to be kind of locked into, you know, the one thing on Sunday afternoon or evening because, you know, sometimes something may come up. You may want to cover a specific topic based on something that's happened in the world or maybe even uh, with the congregation. So we've been kind of taking them monthly and we're beginning a new series or a new section this particular afternoon uh, that's going to look at, I think the title of the section is Our Faith. But we're going to talk about, I think, all the words. There's only four or five in this section, but deal kind of with parts of the plan of salvation, maybe is the best way to say it, the idea of our faith, but then also repenting, confessing, that kind of thing. So uh, we'll do that over the next few months, God be willing. But be to begin this afternoon, we'll take a, a short look here at the word faith. You know, the Hebrew Bible, and we've been talking about our Bibles on Wednesday night and how we got the Bible, and when we go back to the Old Testament, we think about Hebrew, the Hebrew Bible doesn't really have a word for faith, per se. The Old Testament has several words that can be used to describe the state of faithfulness, uh, as well as words that describe the act of believing, but faith is, is described more than it is defined in the Old Testament. And really when we think of faith in the Old Testament, we kind of think of two people a lot of times, Abraham and David. Now in Genesis chapter 15 and verse number 6, you see speaking of Abram at the time, your Bible may make that uh, differentiation there that uh, Abram is still his name at this time, verse 6, and he believed in the Lord and he, that's God, accounted it to him for righteousness. Now the word that is translated uh, here and the idea of faith is aman, uh, like A-M-A-N. It's similar to our amen, as we might say. We have an E in it, of course, but related to amen, the word aman carries the idea of having loyalty to God. So Abraham's faith, as we think about the, the great story of Abraham, the great ark of Abraham in scripture, uh, Abraham's faith would remain loyal to God in the midst of all of these obstacles that really tested his faith. Uh, right? I mean, we think we have difficulty sometimes, and we do. We face the loss of income or jobs. We face sickness and death and loss and struggles. We do. Uh, but Abraham, Abraham certainly as well had obstacles that tested his faith. Maybe it wasn't the same necessarily, but he had to go through these things. Let me ask you to turn to the book of Habakkuk for just a moment. I may need to give you a minute to find that one uh, myself here too. Go towards the back of the Old Testament there, right, and get to the minor prophets that we've been studying, and you'll find as you go further back, uh, don't go too fast because you'll pass over it, but Nahum, then Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, 
there's a word here that is, again, kind of describing faithfulness. Now, if you're making notes, yeah, I know sometimes the way they're pronounced doesn't sound the same, but if you're making notes, the word is E-M-U-N-A-H. E-M-U-N-A-H. But it appears 49 times in the Old Testament. One of those here is Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse number 4, which says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. This is describing the idea of faithfulness or the faithfulness of a righteous man. Scripture shows us that the faithful identify themselves by more than just believing. They are fiercely loyal. That gets back to that, that amen or amen word there. The idea of being loyal to God. It's more than just saying, I believe. I think that's why we emphasize that so much sometimes. I kind of referenced it lightly this morning. But you're familiar. When somebody says, I have faith or, or I believe, that's great and in a sense. But it's more than just sort of this stating that I believe. It's being fiercely loyal. And as we said this morning, showing action, having a visible faith. Now, in the New Testament, uh, there's one main word that's used, and the word is pistis. It's P-I-S-T-I-S. Uh, and that's the word, and there's some different forms, again, not being a great Greek scholar, you know, there's different ways it's used in a noun form, in a verb form, we won't go through all of those, but it's used to describe the process of believing in and trusting God. In English, our word faithful suggests the idea of full of faith, and we should use it to mean being, excuse me, maintaining faithfulness or being trustworthy. You know, there's several uh, lexicons or dictionaries that we sometimes use to help us understand, and some of those give us a, a good idea. I wanted to share a few with you, or three with you in particular. <coughs> Excuse me. Vine's Dictionary of Words talks about the idea that faith is personal surrender. Now, I asked you this morning, what does faith mean to you, or what do you think of when you think of faith? Here's some good ideas. Vine's says that it is personal surrender. Would you use that to describe our faith, that it's personal surrender? Uh, Thayer uses the idea that it is trust, and then he uses an ellipsis, but the dot, 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 trust conjoined with obedience. Now, that's what we talked about this morning, right? Obedience to the faith. So it is trusting, that idea of a, a step of faith or a leap of faith, trust, but conjoined with obedience to Christ. That's the way Thayer Described. And then another writer or commentator by the name of Richard, last name of Richard, says that it is confident reliance on God. Confidence, rel confident reliance on God. Now, to me, that's the, that's the struggle here, right? Sometimes when we, we talk about faith, we almost treat it as if it's blind faith. That it's just this leap or this step, and I'm just going to trust and hope and wish and pray. But I like the idea, of course, of trust conjoined with obedience, but also the idea of confident reliance, confident reliance on God. Now, our word that we used just a moment ago for pistis is used 240 times, or at least 240 times in the New Testament. As you think of the word faith in your New Testament, and we're going to look at a few passages, uh, that's certainly probably the word that's used more often than not, or a form of it. Now, we said this morning that there are some different ways to think about the word faith. Let's talk about three very quickly. First of all, it can be understood as the, the description in our uh, lesson here is the body of material. 
the body of material that's been handed down to us, as in the faith. That's what Jude references in Jude verse 3. The faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. That's the idea of this body of material, this faith that's being handed down. It's not always we think something that we can put our hands on, but it is kind of this idea of something that is handed down. I want you to hold on to that thought in your brain for a minute because we're going to finish with that when we conclude here in a few moments with the idea of the idea of handing down. So number two, it can also be understood as our belief, our belief, or the assumptions that we hold as a body of believers, our belief. We must prayerfully and carefully remain vigilant that our faith is not formed in the traditions of men, but rather than the revealed word of God. That's what it should be grounded in. Our faith, while it's great that it can be passed down in a sense, it shouldn't be rooted and grounded in our traditions or what we always know. You know, as we get into our next few lessons on Wednesday night uh, in our discussion of the Bible, we're going to talk about that version that many of you have called the King James Version, right? Well, uh, Dr. Burleson, some of you have been in our class have heard me talk about Dr. Burleson from Free Hardeman, and Doug Burleson. He talks about that he was asked to speak one Wednesday night on a congregation that was about to split over the use or the not the use of the King James Version. You know, King James is the only version, some people would say. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's a lot to take in. But while we can hand these things down, those are the kind of traditions that we might get caught up in. You know, the number of songs we have or things like that. That is a faith in a sense as we think about our beliefs, but it's also then can be caught up in these other things. That if you do outside of what we've always done here, then it's, you've got a problem. And it's not uh, grounded in the word, it's grounded in tradition. Uh, and of course, this would, you know, this kind of occurrence of our beliefs would call for us to use it to tactfully and hopefully successfully influence others back to the faith, the will of God. Number three, we might say the third perspective of faith is my personal faith. That's kind of what we usually think of, my personal faith in God. It's supported by his revealed will. It's my submissive obedience and my personal trust in the security of his promises. My faith, that's what we have to try to form. Think about listening just a moment ago, listening to these young voices up here, how great and encouraging that is. But as most of you know, as parents, of these and grandparents and even just being associated or maybe your kids are, are grown and gone, there's also a nervousness, right? There's also an uneasiness as we think about our faith is one thing, their faith is something else. And we need to all hold to the faith, but we have to kind of build our own personal faith supported by the will of God, included in that submissive obedience, and hopefully then we continue to grow. All right, let's talk about a few verses. If you would like to turn to Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4 and verse number 3 in particular, Romans 4, 3, perhaps the best usage of the word faith in the Old Testament is where we just were. I won't ask you to turn back, but Genesis 15, 6, that's where we just were, talking about Abraham, that he's described as one who believed in the Lord. And as we read there, that resulted in God crediting it to him as an act of righteousness. In Romans 4 and verse 3, if you turned over there, you'll see this is a discussion about Abraham. And Paul is talking about what we were just referencing from Genesis 15. Paul uses the verb form of the word pistis here, the word for faith, in Romans chapter 4 and verse 3. For what does the scripture say? And here's the quotation, of course. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him 
for righteousness. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 5, Paul is kind of having this same you know, discussion, if you will. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 5, here he's going to use the noun form of this word as descriptive of the act of believing on Abraham's part. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 5, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And here he is emphasizing again, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So we can take this by, we must conclude then that the act of believing or trusting in God represents the response of one who holds faith in God or is maintaining faithfulness. It's kind of that idea that we ended on this morning. It is obedience. It's more than just saying I can sit back and take it easy and kick my feet up and say I believe, but it's going to cause us that we cause us to have a response to what God has done. All right, Hebrews chapter 11 in verse number 6. Another New Testament passage, I, I quoted it this morning very quickly in our lesson. But in Hebrews 11, we begin to get this definition of faith. And for a lot of people, this is a personal favorite usage of faith in Hebrews 11 and verse 6. <clears throat> the chapter begins by defining faith, right? Hebrews 11, 1, we want to know what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we get this definition and it identifies then exemplars of this faithfulness. Namely, Abel in verse number 4, Enoch in verse number 5, and that's kind of how the chapter begins. And so the writer here prefaces his wonderful list of the faithful or the faithful followers with this warning in verse number 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now that's a pretty stern reminder there. And it could have two perspectives, if you really think about it. It could mean that God won't accept faithless living. He won't accept faithless living, which, of course, is true. That's not what he accepts. He doesn't accept people who, have, who are faithless, I guess I should say. It could additionally be taken to mean that without faith, you will not be able to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. In other words, without faith, you won't make it. And both readings or both of those kind of understandings or readings are kind of implied to the context of the discussion following in the text. We know, as we touched on this morning, there's a vivid illustration of faith in Abraham and all of these folks that are listed. Sarah, uh, we think about Moses. And then, of course, as you get to the end of chapter 11, there's just that, that continual list. And not only that, but I find it very interesting, and I don't know if you've considered, but as you get to verse 30 down through verse 40, there's no longer often a mention of names, right? We get past this idea of holding up certain people as being the only ones who can do it, but here's some of the actions that you can take. I asked you this morning, what would you do, right? How can you show your faith? How can it be visible? Well, we're very thankful that we don't have to worry about stopping the mouths of lions, right? or going to battle, or some of those things that are listed there, being stoned, being sawn in two, verse 37, uh, all those things. We're thankful that we don't have to go through that. But yet we do have to face struggles. We do have to face situations in which we need to step up and show our faith. And as we think about some of the examples that the Bible gives, uh, and these, we're, we're thankful it may not be quite like that, but we know certainly that we have opportunities 
to show our faith. In some of the notes that are used here, uh, in particular in the study, uh, some of the illustrations that are used as opportunities, uh, one of the writers gave an excellent um, example from the book Pilgrim's Progress. Any of you remember having to read Pilgrim's Progress uh, by John Bunyan in 1678 when, was when it was published, the idea of the allegory, uh, work of allegory there. And in that particular part of that particular uh, book, their characters by the name of Christian and Hopeful, some of this, some of you may, this may come back to as you go back to school days, the characters Christian and Hopeful are trapped in what's called Doubting Castle, a prisoner or their prisoners of a person by the name or, or this character bearing the name Despair. So it is only because the character Hopeful remembers that he has the key of promise which unlocks the door that makes it able for them to escape. But it's what Bunyan said uh, at the bottom of the page that's intriguing. Here's the quote. Precious promise. The promises of God in Christ are the life of faith and the quickeners of prayer. Oh, how oft do we neglect God's great and precious promises in Christ Jesus while doubts and despair keep us prisoners. Isn't that not the case very often for us, this idea of Christian and hopeful being locked in a castle, doubting castle, held prisoner by despair. <clears throat> that sounds exactly like the situation that we find ourselves in sometimes. But we hold the key of promise. We have the promises of God. And included in that are a life of faith. We must cling to that. We must do our best to hold true to that. And to try to live this faithful life to God as long as we have opportunity here, as long as we have time here. All right, a couple of illustrations that I'd like to give to you from God's Word. The first is Matthew chapter 8. We were there this morning. <coughs> uh, the book includes some examples, some uh, devotional thoughts, I guess, if you will, to go along with the study. And I want to share a couple of those with you in the lesson will be yours this afternoon. The first is Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. Now, if you're with us, we talked about this centurion who had come to Jesus. And the title of this particular devotional thought is that, it, the title is not fairness, but faithfulness. Not fairness, but faithfulness. The writer says, life is not fair. Deep down inside, though, we all feel that life should be fair. We look around us and we see people who have huge advantages over others. Some men or women are given better economic circumstances. Some are blessed with stronger family dynamics. Others seem rewarded with a head start maybe in life. It seems that some people are born on third base while others are watching the game from behind the outfield fence, to use a, a sports example. And it all seems tragically unfair. The problem is... This sense of fairness can cause us to make excuses in matters of faith. I'm going to give you a few examples, and I hope that you might can think if you've ever used something like this or heard it from someone else. Some people will, will remark, well, if my parents were more committed, maybe to the church or to following God, then I would. If my wife or my husband would come to me, with, would come with me to church, then I would. If I were married, then I would. If I did not have to work so hard, then I would. And what we do is we often make excuses and excuse ourselves from really developing a dynamic faith 
in the Lord. Because we always say life's not fair and I just don't have what everybody else has. They're blessed with talent and abilities. They're blessed with a great family. And I'm always behind and then we always make these excuses. In Matthew chapter 8, the story of the centurion who approaches Jesus about healing his servant is a powerful demonstration of overcoming unfairness because he has great faith. Think about it for just a minute. Let's think about the centurion in, uh, in particular. A centurion would have been, for lack of a better phrase, probably an extremely well-trained killer. That's just the nature of that kind of military role there. He would have been an extremely well-trained killer in the Roman military. The majority of his life would have been infused with cold-hearted bloodshed. He would have seen some of the most despicable acts of violence possibly known to humankind. But in this particular instance, and again, we're kind of reaching a little bit. We obviously don't know this man's story, maybe a little bit of a stretch. But to challenge our thoughts, this man would have known all of that, but it did not stop him from coming to Jesus to ask for compassion for who? For himself, for his servant. Did you catch that this morning or just now? He's not asking for help for himself, but for his servant. Other servants, especially as we read the New Testament, are often just considered what? Possessions, right? Things to be owned. And here he is coming to Jesus to ask compassion for his servant. This Roman official seems to have a tender heart. He sees death, but he does not become calloused to death. Here is a man who has a pagan background. Maybe again is trained in the ways of killing, is high ranking in the military. And all of this he could have used as an excuse He could have used it as an excuse for never even approaching Christ with this request for a miracle, but he does so. And what does Jesus say? We looked at it this morning in verse number 10. Jesus honors him by stating, With no one in Israel have I found such faith. Not a single Jew, not one Pharisee, not even one of the disciples has as strong a faith as this man's trust in the Lord. Here's the point. One does not need to have a perfect life to develop a great faith. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to wait for just all of the right circumstances. All man needs is the desire to pursue Jesus with all of his heart, mind, soul, body, strength. Just continuing to try to serve him. I won't ask for a show of hands, as I said, but how often do we make excuses and delay? I'll wait Till my kids are older. I'll wait till my kids are out of the house. I'll wait till my parents maybe don't require so much of my time if you're having to care for them in a health kind of way. I'll wait until I'm stronger. I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait. And we make excuse after excuse. What I've done in the past, whatever it might be that gets in the way. It's not fairness, but it's faithfulness. And then the last lesson will come from Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Romans 1. 16 and 17. Our culture today has, for lack of a better phrase, conned, if you will, conned Christians into keeping our faith quiet. America is a very individualistic country. We pride ourselves on on doing it ourselves, right? We praise the self-made man. And there seems to be uh, some great boast about overcoming the obstacles that we have in life through our own self-will and determination. 
the culture around us has also conned us into making our faith a personal conviction. As in, you can believe in Christ, but please don't share it with me. You can have whatever you want to think and believe, but don't push that into my life. And here's the thing. This seems to be absolutely opposed to the system of faith in the Bible. I know that you are undoubtedly familiar with Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. How often do we quote that or the preacher use that and we skip right over verse 17? But what is said? For in it... <coughs> Excuse me, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And of course, there's our reference back to Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse number 4. Here's what's important as we end this lesson. Paul notes, in Rome, Paul notes here in Romans 1 that faith is communicated from faith to faith. Faith spreads through sharing your faith with another person who becomes a Christian and that person shares that faith, their faith, with the next person. Technically, or actually, it should be a never-ending chain here upon this earth. People share their faith with one another. God desires us to share the faith. Children need to be watching grandparents living out the faith. Teenagers need to be watching the elders live out the faith. The world needs to be watching the church live out the faith. Instead of hiding our light under the basket, right, as we so often sing, we teach our children that song about letting your light shine and not hiding it under the basket. But it's so easy in a world that is pushing us to hide our faith, to just kind of go along with that. Instead, as Christians, we must be shining that light throughout the world, living out our faith, the faith. That doesn't mean that we necessarily have to be shoving it in people's faces, per se, but it does mean that those who know you know that you are a Christian. I think I've used the example before of a person uh, that I've been familiar with before, was an acquaintance of, had known them for a while, until they finally made mention Oh, I know where you preach, and don't you know that I go to so-and-so Church of Christ? And I had to contain the shock on my face, right, to keep from just doing it kind of right in their face. I was like, hmm, that's very interesting. I would have never guessed that. I didn't say that out loud, but that's what I was kind of thinking, right? I had that moment of thinking, boy, I would have never, ever guessed that. If I'm being honest with you, can I say that I, I'm probably not ever perfect at that? Sometimes I'm probably not perfect that just somebody walks by and says that, but... We are hopefully striving for the world to know that we are a follower of Christ. Some people may not appreciate your faith, but if there is ever a spiritual need, you could only hope that these people will come to you with a question about God. Once again, I want to ask you to raise your hand, but sometimes we might be, or we might be able to go around the room and how often have one of you or someone said, I just did enough, I, I did enough to where they knew what I believed or what I stood for, and when there was a loss, when there was an accident, when there was tragedy, they came to me, right? Or they asked questions. Or they have a question about, you know, what, what it is that the Bible says about whatever. They came to me. 
that's the kind of thing that, once again, we're not supposed to pat ourselves on the back with, but it's a, a result of living out a faithful life. And this opens the door to explain to them the faith that was once delivered, as we talked about from Jude verse 3. Pass that faith on. Faith is communicated from faith to faith. That's the challenge that I'd like to leave you with this afternoon as we go forth into the week. Pass that faith on. If you're here this afternoon as we extend the gospel invitation and you're not a child of God, you've never been obedient to the faith, why not do that this afternoon or allow us to study with you and share with you the saving power of the gospel from the word of God as soon as possible. If you're here and you've done that, maybe you've wandered away, maybe you feel like some of the songs that we sing, you can't sing faith is the victory because you know that your faith is fairly weak right now. We would love nothing more than to be able to encourage you with prayers by brothers and sisters to help you with any sin in your life or simply encourage you with prayer. We'd love for you to make a change even now as we stand together and as we sing.